Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to get into the second message here of our Advent season, week 2. And we're going to look here at Luke 1, verses 26 to 56 today. Uh, The amazing and beautiful story of the angel visiting Mary. And then Mary going off to see her cousin and and then singing uh, a song of of joy uh, at being selected as the one who will be the mother of our Lord. And so beginning here in verse 26 of chapter 1, it says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive, give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be in me as you have said. And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. For why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised their ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. Now, I wanted to show you a couple photos here um, of the real Nazareth in Israel. Uh, This is a photo of a church and a courtyard that is built over the site of the ancient Nazareth one well that they had. Um, A small town like Nazareth had just one well, 
and everyone got water from that one place. And it's believed that Mary went to go get water from that well when she met the angel in our scripture for today. And so a long time ago, a small little church was built up over that well to mark that important spot. This next photo, though, I want to show you is inside the church. And it is a picture of my daughter, Aria, when she came with me to Israel in 2019. She was 16 at the time, which is about the age that we believe Mary would have been in our story, about 16. And Aria is standing in the church next to that ancient well. Nazareth is one of my favorite places to visit in Israel. It seems more friendly, less touristy, and it actually has the highest percentage of Christians of any town in Israel. And I think you can feel the difference there. Both of the guides we had have both uh, come from and lived in Nazareth with their families. They're Palestinian Christians. Nazareth today is pretty poor, just as it would have been in Bible times. In Bible times, it would have probably only been about two to three hundred people. Today, it's much larger than that. But a common saying back in Bible times about Nazareth was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, that's a pretty ironic statement if you think about it, being that the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of all lords, would come out of Nazareth. Jesus would grow up there. His parents, his mom, his mom Mary and Joseph, they were, they were from there, lived there. Jesus grew up there in this place that no one thought anything of. But maybe that's why God chose it. They weren't looking there. It was hidden. It wasn't where they were, were thinking the Messiah would be coming from. God seems to like to break our prejudices, I think and destroy our presumptions, and work in people and in places and in ways that we would least expect him to. Even in, in us, he, he calls us and, and he, he works in our weaknesses, not in our strengths. He sends us on places we never thought we would ever go. I could give you lists of this in my own life. But he also uses people that we would never choose like David, the shepherd boy, or Peter, the fisherman, or Matthew, the tax collector, or Paul, the very enemy of the church that he would call to be the great evangelist of the church. God loves to do what we think is impossible, to work in places we're not looking. He loves to surprise people with hope. And I think that's a lot of what's happening in our scripture for today. For Nazareth was not the holy city. That was Jerusalem. And Mary wasn't a queen. She was a poor teenage girl from a low-class town. But this was God's choice. In fact, I see a lot of similarities in this story to the Old Testament story of how God selected David. If you remember when Samuel the priest was looking for the next king of Israel... He was looking in all the wrong places for him. He was looking in the places that you would expect to find a great king. 
He was looking for a mighty warrior, a strong leader, a political force. But God kept moving Samuel away from where he was looking to where he wanted him. And he kept saying, not that one, not that one. Where does God eventually bring Samuel? To the outskirts of a small town called Bethlehem, to Jesse's house, a poor farmer. And Jesse had some sons, and he brought them forth to Samuel, oldest to the youngest, for Samuel to look at. And Samuel, again, immediately using his own human understanding, looked at the oldest and the strongest son, who was also the best with the sword, and he thought this naturally will be God's chosen king. But again, God said to Samuel, not that one. And then the next sons were brought before him, and to each one God said, no, not that one. Not that one either. Until all that was left to look at was the youngest rugged shepherd boy who had to be called in from the fields, David. And God said, that's the one. And Samuel was like, really? Him? <laughs> but God told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, The Lord does not look at things like man looks at them. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks right at the heart. It appears that same thing is happening in our story with Mary. A world paid no attention to her, but God did. In fact, I wanted to read Mary's song at the end of our scripture because she seems to realize this, that God had shown her grace and favor unmerited. For she says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of my humble state. He has done great things for me. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent away the rich. Mary recognizes. She's not proud. She's humble. She knows and is thankful that God would even see her, know her name, come to her, and call her to such a great assignment and blessing. And in that humble heart, she was immediately ready and willing to be used of God. Mary had the heart of a person that God calls, willing and humble. Today, we can think of Mary like this. I'll show you this picture. Saintly Mary. But she was probably more like this. A peasant girl from Nazareth. Poor, barefoot on the outside, but inside her heart was 100% for the Lord. Like our scripture for today, he said, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. The impressive things to God are often not the impressive things to this world. They're the things within. Faith, hope, love, mercy, humility, compassion, servanthood. The things that impress the world, riches, power, fame, outward beauty, these things don't seem to matter much to God or how God chooses or judges people. I think of the Beatitudes and how radical they were back then and still are today. 
In Matthew 5, Jesus opened his Sermon on the Mount with them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are you when you are persecuted because of righteousness, for just doing the right thing. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. A world may not think much of you, but God does. Within the Christmas story, we see the values of God, the things that he cares about, the people that he chooses. Our Lord and Savior Jesus was not born into luxury, into kings and queens of that day. He was not born into power, but he came into poverty. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was born to the humble and willing girl from Nazareth, who along with her husband Joseph, called a righteous man, were both willing to believe the Lord and receive him in and be available to however God needed. And when the child was born, they had nowhere to lay his head, no home for him but a bed of straw in a cave. And the people who bothered to notice and come out were lowly shepherds watching their fields, their flocks and their fields nearby. When the king of Jerusalem found out he had been born, he, on the other hand, tried to kill him. This is the Christmas story. A world rejected, but a few meek souls received him in. A few things I wanted to point out from our scripture. Number one, Mary was a virgin. This was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Isaiah 7.14, the virgin will be with child. People say, how can you believe that? That's impossible. Well, that's exactly what Mary thought as well. <laughs> the angel tells her she'll be with child, and immediately she says, I'm a virgin. And the angel replies, nothing is impossible with God. And he goes on to say how the Holy Spirit will make possible the child within her, so that the Holy One to be born to her will be the Son of God. And this is critical to our Christian faith, that Jesus was not the same as you and me, fully human. <laughs> no, Jesus was different. He was the one and only Son of God. He was born of Mary, but of the Holy Spirit, fully human, but also fully God. The Word made flesh. God himself took on flesh. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. The Creator became the created. Colossians 1.15 says, He was the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says, The exact representation of his being. Jesus told the disciples in John 14, If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. We believe that Jesus is the very one and only Son of God, one with the Father, always was, is, and is to come. Jesus said to the crowds before Abraham was, I am. 
The Son was one with the Father always. He was there at creation and there at work throughout in the lion's den in the Old Testament with Daniel. He's in the pages of the Old Testament. At Christmas, he didn't come into being and exist. At Christmas, he took on flesh. He stepped down into darkness to open my eyes that I might see him, that I might know him. The virgin birth is important to our faith because it says that Jesus is the one and only God come in the flesh. And he proved it when he healed the sick and cured the leper and cast out the demon and calmed the storm and raised the dead and spoke with authority like no one had ever heard before and then got up upon a cross for you and me only to rise from the dead on the third day and then ascend back into heaven before their very eyes where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. A man could not do what Jesus did. He proved his divinity in his life. So I take the virgin birth as important truth, not because I can understand it all, but because Jesus proved it. He said it. Because the word of God doesn't lie. Because I believe by faith. And sometimes you just have to take things by faith. They're more than we can comprehend, but that doesn't make them untrue. God is above us and he is telling us what is. He is showing us the way. Will we believe him and put our faith in him? I've always loved Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Something that I think is so remarkable in our scripture for today is how immediately after the angel leaves Mary, it says in verse 39 that Mary goes to see Elizabeth. Why does she run to see her? Because the angel had just told her that her cousin Elizabeth was also pregnant. Even though she was old and thought to be beyond childbearing years, the angel said she was in her sixth month, which means that she would be showing by now. And I believe the angel tells her this, and Mary takes this as a chance to confirm what the angel had just told her. It was hard even for her to believe that she could become the mother uh, of the Lord without being with a man, and that her child, this Mary from Nazareth, uh, her child would be the son of God and the king of all kings. So impossible did this maybe feel and seem at the time to her. The angel helps her a little. He says, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant too. Nothing is impossible with God. And so Mary immediately runs to see her cousin, to see if all this is true. And not only does she discover that indeed Elizabeth is pregnant, but even more, Elizabeth, upon hearing Mary's hello, uh, before they even exchange words, Elizabeth's baby, John, in her belly moves. And Elizabeth, it says, is filled with the Holy Spirit, as and from as of the Lord exclaims, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of our Lord should come to me? The baby within me jumped for joy when it heard your voice. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord said what his Lord has said to her will be accomplished. What's going on in this? I think Mary is seeking out Elizabeth and getting immediate confirmation that what the angel told her was indeed the truth. 
that she wasn't just having a dream, that the angel was real and that what he said was going to happen, as impossible as it may have seemed. God was giving her confirmation, for she didn't even have the chance to tell Elizabeth anything before Elizabeth already knew. I think God puts people in our life to confirm and affirm and assure and reassure and nudge us in the directions God wants us to go and has maybe even told us, but we're having trouble believing him or trusting in him. We need a little extra help. He maybe told us in prayer something or has begun to lay on our hearts certain callings or desires and we may begin to think about them and maybe even feel a little bit scared about the future. But then someone comes along and says something at just the right time and they they have no idea what's been stirring in our heart and in our mind, but their words are, are like confirmation straight from God. God is giving us that little extra we needed to know it was him. We aren't crazy. We're not just thinking these things. He's got a plan and he's leading us. Sometimes people will tell me after church or they'll text me later in the week. They'll reach out and they'll say, Pastor, I don't know how you knew, but your sermon today is exactly what I needed to hear. It was like you were speaking right to me. I've been going through this thing or that. I've been worried about this or feel God calling me to that. And something you just said today confirmed it. And of course, I know that it wasn't me. Because I don't know the details of everyone's life, but the Holy Spirit does. And so just like it wasn't Elizabeth, it was God speaking through her to Mary. God uses people in moments to confirm and assure us of his plans and his promises. And I think that's wonderful. Another thing I wanted to point out from our scripture is how every time we see an angel in the Christmas story, have you noticed that the angel's first words are, Don't be afraid. We see this in all four cases where angels are mentioned. To Zechariah, to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds. If you read each one, you will see the angel's first words are always, Don't be afraid. Now I'm guessing that if we saw an angel later this afternoon, we might be afraid too. Wondering, what in the world am I seeing? Is this real? Is this happening? What does he want from me? What did I do? (laughs) Right? But I think the words, don't be afraid, are so important, probably for a couple reasons. One, angels are are not described in the Bible as dainty fairies or babies with wings. (laughs) But they're described as intimidating, mighty warriors, revealing the glory of God. Messengers from God, a heavenly host, an army, shining the glory of heaven. Powerful. I guarantee you, Like anyone in the Bible, if we saw an angel in all of his glory, we would be brought to our knees. But second, I think don't be afraid is because God was assuring them that what he was about to do was a good thing, not a bad thing. The angel was sent to tell them good news, not bad news. God, think about it, God could have come down with wrath upon the world for all of our sin, but he didn't. The angel could have been there to destroy them, like Sodom and Gomorrah, but he wasn't. The angel didn't come with bad news, but good. Just like Jesus said in John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son into the world, that whoever believes in him will no longer perish, but have everlasting life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. At Christmas, this is important that we remember that this is a story of God's grace and mercy for us sinners. Jesus came on a life-saving mission, not destroying. This is not us getting, you know, what we deserve. This is, this is the mercy of God. This is the faithfulness of God, the love of God come down for us, extending a hand of hope and help to us despite our unfaithfulness and disobedience. He keeps on loving us and desires none to perish. I've always had a problem with fear and worry. So I know I would have been one of those who would have needed the angel to say, don't be afraid. But the Bible tells me this incredible verse in 1 John 4.18. It says, there's no fear in love, for perfect love casts out all fear. It says love casts out fear. It goes on to say, see what love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called the children of God. And that is what we are. It goes on to say, this is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There's only one perfect love in this world. And it is found in God. Revealed to us in Christ. And his love, when we believe in it and receive it and live in it, it casts out all our fears. For fear can't exist where his love is. If we all knew just how wide and high and deep is the Father's love for us, we would never be afraid anymore. We would not worry about tomorrow or even for today, for our Father has got us. <laughs> he knows what we need before we even ask. He is with us. He, he, he gave us Christ that we might live in him. We, we can cast all of our anxieties, he said, upon him, knowing that he cares about us. We should do like Paul says in Philippians 4, not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer. Present our request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In Christ, we remember again, just like the angel said, we don't need to be afraid. For God's perfect love has come down and gets upon a cross and rises from the dead and death has now lost its sting. We're forever his and he forever ours. Every day when we face our battles, we don't face them alone. We face them with God. Every situation, he helps us. Every place we go, he is already. Even through the valleys we got to walk, we're told not to fear for our shepherd goes with us, leading the way. Everything you're concerned about today, even your past and your sins that you feel regret over, he knows and he's already died for everyone. He's already overcome. And if you just call out to him and believe in his name, you don't need to fear anymore. For the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. 
All he asks is that you believe in him and receive him in. Perfect love casts out all our fears. When we live in the house of the Lord, we don't have to be afraid. God loves you. Find your rest, finally, in him. He came that you might have life and life to the full. The final thing I wanted to point out from our scripture is Mary's response. It's so much like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When before the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done in me. So too Mary prays, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be in me as you have said. This is a moment of faith, but also surrender. For God's calling on her life would not be easy, but she was willing. And the way she responds, we see her heart. That she lived for God's purposes and not her own. She says, I am the Lord's servant. We see this same thing in her song at the end of our scripture when she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Her soul glorifies. Her spirit rejoices. This is not just some external little thing, a compliance, a casual, okay, God, I guess I will. No, this was heart and soul for her. This was a desire within her to please God, to live and serve Him. This was her joy, what she was living for. And I've been thinking about that this week. Is this what we're living for? Is this our heart and soul? Isaiah 29, 13 says, The people come near me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. This scripture is talking about the opposite of that. How the people of God had lost their heart and were just going through the moments, motions of, of religion, but without any soul. Jesus taught how the Pharisees and religious leaders were like whitewashed tombs that looked good on the outside, but inside were just dead and full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus taught us how we all need to have life on the inside. Receive a new heart, a new spirit that God will give us. We need to let the Lord into the very heart of us to not just keep going through the motions, but open up our real heart to him, to let him in, to penetrate and break up the stone, the hard soil that we've become, to soften us towards God and others again, and to let him into our soul and become our every desire. Mary prays, my soul glorifies the Lord. You know, the soul in the Bible is our emotion, it's our will, it's our sorrows and passions and treasures. This is the place Mary let the Lord into, into her home, her soul. And from that core, she was able to pray, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be in me as you have said. Literally, you can have all of me, God. Literally, she was saying, let it be. Let it be, let it be. <laughs> I had a, a stupid sty in my eye this week and it it was way on the inside i thought that it was just this thing on the surface that i could see in the mirror but halfway through the week i discovered it went me much deeper within underneath my eyelid way back where i hadn't been looking on on the outside what was visible was puffy eyes watery eyes redness but i discovered the real issue was deep inside that was what needed healing and once it was, the outside redness and symptoms slowly went away. Many times in our life, we can only see the symptoms. We focus on them. We maybe even judge other people by them. 
but the Lord looks much deeper within to the way things really are, to who we really are, into the heart of that child within, into the soul that has been lost a while back. And, and he comes to heal that place, to give life to that innermost place. He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord is not so much interested in the external as in the internal. Because he knows if we allow him access into the inside of us, if we trust him with our heart and allow him to live there, then the external will take care of itself. For everything flows from the heart and only he can truly heal and save the heart. And so I would encourage all of us today to take Mary's approach, to say, let it be in me as you have said, Lord. Come into my life. Heal the very innermost part of me. Create in me a new heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. For I am a sinner. I am broken. I'm a bit lost and need you to help me find my way again. Please, Lord, come into my life and do as you want to do. For I am your servant. May it be in me as you have said. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.